Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. If you're listening to this episode, then you're likely a student athlete or family member of one. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you find our podcast valuable. Mental performance coaching allows young athletes to show up at their best every single day by conquering distractions, pressures, and mental roadblocks through evidence-based strategies. So let's talk. You can visit my website at michaelvasinvincenthuber.com to schedule a free strategy session. Let's see if mental performance coaching is a fit for your family. Enjoy this episode, and thank you again for listening. How is former Division I quarterback Alex Demchek gone all in on a life of entrepreneurship? Athletics teaches many lessons. Some of them are quite hard. Athletes take emotional and physical risks that lead to disappointment and often injury. However, the beauty of being an athlete is that we learn how to endure unwanted results and grow from our failures. This is probably why so many prominent athletes ultimately become entrepreneurs. Athletes are willing to take calculated risks and take fate into their own hands. My guest in this episode is Alex Demchek, a former Division I quarterback at the University of Missouri. As a walk-on, Alex developed resilience through hard work and humbling experiences. Alex's goal was to leverage his time on the field into a college football coaching career. However, Alex soon felt a pull toward the autonomous and creative life of an entrepreneur. In episode 40, Alex talks about how his experiences led him from the football field to the corporate world and then on to becoming a professional speaker, coach, and co-author of the successful book entitled The Sale with best-selling author and influencer John Gordon. Alex discusses how he coaches others and helps them grow through his various business ventures. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Alex Demchek. Hey, Alex, how are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, It's my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Uh, It's great to have you here. So, you know, can you maybe just to get started, talk a little bit about yourself and sort of your background, um, you know, in terms of, you know, where you've been and where you're at right now? Yeah, so I grew up as a sports fanatic, and um, I grew up in an awesome family in Illinois, and just loved every every sport I could, and um, eventually kind of fell in love with football the most, and and really had a dream of playing college football someday, and just disciplined myself to do that. I remember my grandpa; he said, "Son, I don't I don't date girls during I never dated girls during uh, high school football season," and I was like. All right, Grandpa, I'll I'll do that too. And I I only dated one girl. Uh, I gave one exception my freshman year. But other than that, I was really disciplined. Um, I'm just I just mentioned that to show how disciplined I was, I guess. But <laughs> not saying that everyone out there needs to do that. But um, did that whole thing, and then had the chance to walk on at University of Missouri, and um, had a great experience there. Maybe we can get into that story in a little bit. And then I now live in Columbia, Missouri, as a full time um, author and speaker, and travel the country and have a have a wife and a one and a half year old daughter named Kennedy. So life is good and um, just uh, really enjoying 
being full-time self-employed and, and traveling the world. Congratulations. And I can appreciate self-employment as, as something that's really uh, enjoyable, uh, albeit sometimes stressful. Um, you know, so, so, so talk about the, your decision to walk on at Missouri. So like, you know, did you have other options? Uh, you know, did you have scholarship options and, and why did you choose Missouri to walk on? Yeah. So I had other options. I mean, smaller schools, uh, but for me at that time in my life, I was always, uh, I just really wanted to do more coaching. And I, I, I knew that like, if I get the chance to walk on at a big school, this could open up doors for, you know, being able to be a GA afterwards and get, kind of get into the coaching deal. I went to a lot of those coaching conventions. So I kind of went in with that mindset. I knew how many good quarterbacks are at Mizzou. And so I was pretty, mm-hmm. um, you know, I obviously worked as hard as I can. I, I, I could. I did um, everything by the program. I was involved as much as I could with uh, leadership stuff associated with the program. But I knew like my odds of playing here are not very good. But I want to make the most of this opportunity. And so I I loved it. I loved every second of it. And you know it was gosh during that time I wanted to become a college football coach. And mm-hmm. but little did I know that today I get to do coaching through keynotes, workshops, you know, traveling all over through books that I write, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just looks a little bit different than being a, a, a college or a high school football coach on, on Fridays or Saturdays, but it's, uh, I do get to coach. And so it's just cool that some of, some of those things that I learned in that disciplined environment of college football, it, it prepared me for what I'm doing now. Yeah. So that's a premature view of the world for an 18, 17, 18, 19 year old. So good for you in doing that. I know that, you know, in, in learning a little bit more about you before the podcast, you know, you mentioned, you know, you talk about being cut from the team as a junior and then rejoining or working to rejoin as a senior. So if that was your mentality going in, like, hey, I'm just going here to learn and be a coach, like why try to get back onto the team your senior year at that point? Yeah. So I guess to back up a little bit, I mean, when I was in the program, I was all in. And so for mm-hmm. me, I knew in the back of my mind, someday when football is over, I do mm-hmm. want to, I do want to go into coaching. Now, when I was there, I was competing. I was thinking, okay, I want to move up on the depth chart. And a little bit about the story that you just mentioned, my going into my junior season, things were good. Like I had had a decent spring ball. I had been progressing an upward uh, trajectory, I, at least I thought, and people had told me. And um, and things were, honestly, I had no complaints. And we were just transitioning from the Big 12 to the SEC. And, uh, and I, I walk into a meeting uh, it's just a walk-on meeting that you have every single year. And I go in into this room and these three coaches are sitting there and I sit down and I could tell there was something different and they sit mm-hmm. down and, and, and one of the coaches says, Alex, I want to shoot you straight. We have over scholarship at quarterback. We're bringing in someone to take your spot. And at that time, you know, football was my identity. That's who I was. That's yeah. what I did. Alex, the quarterback, Alex, the football player. And so in that moment, he's like, Hey, it's, it's over. You have two options. Option number one is you can stay on as this volunteer assistant coach or you can for your cut. That's it. And thanks for your time. And so to your point, I did know I wanted to go into coaching, but I, not that soon. <laughs> that, right. that was not okay. my, pl- that was not my plan because I, all my, mm. all my great friends were on the team. They were living out their dreams. I'm thinking, man, maybe just, maybe I'm this walk on, I can move up on the depth chart, but then I'm told this, this news and it, it just crushed me. And so in that moment, he's like, you need to decide, you know, right now what you want to do. And I, I said, well, I guess I'll stay on as an assistant coach, you know, whatever that mm-hmm. looks like. And so that junior season, I remember, I remember walking out of that meeting specifically and, and 
um, just parking my truck somewhere and just crying and feeling so humiliated. And like, this is not how I planned all this to go, you know? And that first, a few days later was the first practice. And so I show up to practice thinking I'm going to have this big coaching role. I'm like, you know what, maybe, maybe they'll put me up in the press box. Maybe I'll call these plays, do I'll make, make a huge impact. But I get there and one of the coaches, he says, Alex, I want to show you something. And he pulls out this yellow flag. And he said, when someone jumps off sides in practice, what we need you to do is blow your whistle and throw down the flag. And, and that was it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I think I can handle that. <laughs> and, um, and so long story short, my entire junior season where I thought I was taking, you know, uh, I was getting promoted in some ways. I got the biggest demotion ever. I was throwing the flag during practice. I was in street clothes with when all my friends were suited up, running out of the tunnel. I was printing off, you know, making coffee for the coaches, printing off copies of the practice plan, doing all these little details mm -hmm. that I feel like no one even noticed. But I will say just for your listeners, a few things that happened during that season is number one, the humility of it. The fact that I stuck with something and people saw that um, it wasn't, uh, man, it was a tough year. I didn't do it perfectly. It, it, it shook me to, to my core in some ways, but I stuck with it. And I said, you know what? I started here. I'm going to finish. I'm going to see this through. And then I started working on my first book uh, that's behind me called Thrive You um, with a hundred different college and pro athletes. And so what I would say to people listening is that I was in a time where um, I had to truly learn for myself that leadership requires no title and doing the right things, doing the small things with excellence. Like you don't need a title to do that. And I had to fully take ownership for my own actions, my own thoughts and say, Hey, instead of blaming someone else, how can I get better? And so to, like you said, I did get back on the team. I continued to work out my junior season as hard as I could. The person they brought in flaked out and, um, I ended up getting back on the team my senior year. We went to the Citrus Bowl. It was a great experience. But why I share that story, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, is because if I look at all my years as a player, but that one year where I felt like I had no title, I felt like I was a no one, I would actually argue that in some ways I made a bigger and greater impact that year when I was throwing the flag, doing the small things, than all my other years as a player. And so I think that's just for people listening, that's the takeaway for each one of you is that leadership requires no title. You never know how you can be used um, to make an impact on other people's lives, even when you're like, man, what, what, this is not how I planned it. And, and sometimes the innovation that comes from those moments is actually what makes you succeed. And, and just like you are successful in what you do, it's like these moment, these setbacks that then are set up for these huge comebacks. And I think it's, it's having the mentality to say, you know what, I'm going to trust the process and I'm going to continue to work hard, even though I cannot see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. I can't see the finished product. Yeah. And there's so much in what you just described <clears throat> in terms of talking about when you started identity, right? As athletes, and this comes up a lot on this podcast, it comes up a lot with the work I do with individual athletes is to say so much of our identity is turned, you know, wrapped up in being an athlete and everything else is secondary, right? When things don't go our way, it hurts because we've invested so much time and energy in the process of being a better athlete. And then when we get a result we don't like, it makes us feel bad about ourselves. But I think what I take out of it, and I could maybe draw a line to the, the book, and we'll talk about the book, The Sale That's Out, you know, I just published it. The word that comes to mind is integrity, right? Am I continuing to do what I'm asked to do without question, without, you know, any sort of self-pity, 
I'm just going to go do this to the best of my ability because I have control over that process versus like being like, no, I'm not going to do it because it's humbling and I'm going to just walk away. Right. That's yeah. sort of, that's what you described. Yeah. And, and one of the most humbling, um, things that I had to go through in that time period was I was, you know, the assistant, I went from being a quarterback to now an assistant, 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 um, quarterbacks coach. And so now I had to help with all this stuff. One of the hardest things I had to do was at that time for me personally was I had to now make the person who took my spot. I had to now make the other quarterbacks look better. That that was my job now in practice. I wasn't getting paid. I was an unpaid assistant, but I had to now make them look better and, and, and make them look good in practice. And that was something that, uh, again, humbled me pretty darn quickly and said, you know what? I either, um, what am I going to do? Am I just going to quit? Am I going to quit and say, oh, you know what? It didn't go my way. Or am I going to continue to do the small things with excellence? Like you just mentioned. And I think we don't always know the finished product. We don't always know where it's leading us, but it's in those moments where we're just like, I feel called to be here. I don't know why, but I do feel like I I'm in the right spot. I think it's those moments where we have to continue, um, to, to see it through. Now I will say that in this world of transfer, transfer portals and all this stuff, like it is a temptation, I think, for a lot of athletes to say, you know what, the grass is greener. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with transferring, not at all. I'm just saying, I think we have to be careful as athletes, as coaches, as entrepreneurs to say, you know what, just because one thing goes bad, I probably shouldn't transfer, but I think it's trends to look for. I think it's overall culture fit, things like that. Um, you know, when you consider that, but you know, I think there are some pretty cool lessons that you learn when you stick something out like that. Absolutely. Again, it's something I talk about with athletes and I think you, it kind of goes back to me for identity, right? Like because so much of your identity is, 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 is wrapped into being an athlete, right? If you don't get that outcome as an athlete, you're going to move on to the next thing. And if we have, you know, if we have our values are rooted in things other than I, than our athletic identity, we're probably more likely to stay because we see the big picture or we're willing to sort of take that, you know, medicine and just be a part of something that, you know, maybe isn't exactly what you want, but it's something bigger. It's a struggle though, right? It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So I'm curious, I guess. So you, you played, you're back your senior year. You had a great experience. You go to the Citrus Bowl. Did you ever get a chance to, to coach after college coach football? So I did. So I, I became a high school coach at a local high school. I was the offensive okay. coordinator my year after a year or two after. And, um, I enjoyed it and it was a great school. Um, it's right here in Columbia, Missouri, but I, just for me, some things that I saw even at the high school level, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I, this is really for me. I, I, I love the coaching. I love the kids, the mentorship ability, all that stuff. But for me, I think I'm, I'm just definitely wired like an entrepreneur and, you know, being told you have to be at an office and being told you have to be here and watching film at these certain times. I did it. Um, but I think for me, I was just like, man, how can I take the best of coaching, being with kids, being around people, making an impact, but then kind of doing it on my own terms. And so that's kind of what I've got into now with uh, speaking and coaching and things like that. But I, I, you know, I could have continued in the coaching kind of world. And I think there's days where I, I, I will miss it. And I say, you know, oh man, what if I was on the team? But the cool thing is I get to travel and speak with teams all over the country and connect with some awesome people and connect with awesome coaches as well. I mean, I still will go to these coaches clinics, coaching clinics from time to time and have a lot of friends who are now rising the ranks as college coaches. And so for me, it's just fun to kind of cheer them on, but also 
now they're the ones asking me to come speak to their teams. And so it's pretty, pretty cool. And just excited to continue to watch some of my buddies rise the ranks. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to skin that cat. Right. And when you, when you're an entrepreneur, you, you can sort of go to what appeals to you and you obviously have to take risks to do that, but the rewards are really, really great, which is why, you know, that, that, that dynamic exists. So how did you get involved or start working with John Gordon? Yeah. So for the la- little backstory on me, um, the last five years I've been in corporate sales. I was at a, a great company called Veterans United Home Loans. I was slinging mortgages and it's been a great time to be in the mortgage industry the last few years. As you know, it's a crazy market right now. But I connected with John when he spoke at Mizzou probably six, seven years ago. And I read the energy bus. So I'd already reached out to him saying, hey, this energy bus, it's had a huge impact on my sales process. Like I, I really think I'm doing better in sales because I read the energy bus, which is John Gordon, my co-author's best-selling book. It sold millions of copies. And and so that's how we connected. Then we connected when he spoke at Mizzou. And around that time, he just was kind of needing someone in a in a sales type role. And so again, I just like I did as a, a volunteer coach, I said, Hey, I'll work for you for free, you know, just to just to be around you. I love your books. I'll do whatever it takes. And so I started just making sales calls for him for free and, and doing things I wasn't getting paid. And I had a, I had a day job, but this was kind of a side hustle for me. And, and I just started learning and learning. I would go to events that he was at and I would just try to be around him. And I think he saw that and saw that I I was willing to do things like that. And, and so then at some point he started then sending me opportunities saying, Hey, Alex, you have this book thrive you, you're my first book, you should start speaking. And so then he would start sending me opportunities to speak on, his books or his material. And so that's kind of how that connection started. I still do sales for him to this day, um, but mainly the speaking. Um, and then obviously this book that we just came out with called The Sale. Um, that's just a cool story as well. We were in California a few years ago. Roma Downey sitting at the table. She's off Touch by an Angel. Uh, Jamie Garcia, he pitched for the Cardinals. Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger walked by. Daniel Jeremiah, he's an NFL Network guy. We're all sitting at this table and I'm like, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, I do not belong at this table. You know, who, who am I? You know, and uh, we're talking and John asked me, hey, what, what's the next book you're working on? And, and that's where we started talking about the sale and collaborating mm. on that. And so, awesome. yeah, and, and even on for people out there that think like, oh, I want to write a book someday. Literally, you know, it, it's been such a, a rush the last month of this book launch. You know, we just hit the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list. I'm up there. Our, our book is up there with with Jocko. Atomic Habits, Brene Brown, all these authors that I look up to. It's just wild to see our book listed up there, but it's so humbling. And, um, you know, one thing I would say is people see that now, but what they didn't see is, you know, the last few years when I would go to, I remember when I first thought that I want to write a book with John Gordon, he has 25 other books and a lot of them are bestsellers. And I remember being in in Barnes and Noble and I didn't even tell John this, but uh, I shared with it. I shared the story with him on his podcast that he had me on a few weeks ago, but I literally put out all of his books at a Barnes and Noble. Like I just put them all out on a table and I've had headphones in and I was just looking at how he did the front cover, how he did the interior. I was really Mm -hmm. studying essentially his product and he didn't tell me to do this. No one did. I'm sitting there with headphones in. People are probably like, what's this weirdo doing in Barnes and Noble, you know? (laughs) And, and I just start working and I start writing and I start, you know, just doing that. And what's crazy is full circle is I'm doing that in the Columbia, Missouri, Barnes and Noble. And and just a few years later, I'm doing a book signing in that same Barnes and Noble uh, for that book. And so it's, it's so cool to think that 
yes, you get all the people reaching out to you now and it's so humbling and you're so grateful, but they didn't see that, the, those foundations, yes. those foundational oh pieces, <laughs> you know, and I think that just speaks to anyone out there. That's like, man, I want to go that route or whatever it is for you. It's like, what are you doing to build this strong foundation so you can allow yourself for this on-ramp and, and long-term success? The, I, see, I, that really resonates with me. I mean, I love that because what I what I couldn't help but thinking is when you said that you just agreed to do some work for him for free, the word that came right into my mind is you're building equity, right? Mm. You're building equity in the relationship with this person who you're saying, I trust myself enough to add value to what you do. And I'm going to do it for free because I believe in myself. And that person's saying, this person's doing this for free. They're not asking for anything back. Like, you know, fast forward, right? Now you have this clear relationship, right? Whether it's a business relationship, personal or both with somebody who is so prolific. And it's only because you took that risk and you invested in the relationship again, coming back to integrity, to trust of, Hey, I'm willing to stick my neck out here and do whatever it takes. That goes a long way, especially as an entrepreneur. And I, I, I can't help but chuckle when you say like, you know, look at me now, right? Like when you're going through that grind of not making you know, you're not making money. You're on like, you know, if you're in a commission job, even like for people who are in commission jobs, like you don't get a paycheck every two weeks, right? You got to go out and earn your keep. And it's like, you know, when, when you're having trouble putting food on the table and keeping the lights on because everything you're doing is invested in the business. And then all of a sudden, five years later, people are like, oh, look, look at this guy. Like you have no idea what, what, what Alex went through to get to where he's at, man, just grinding away. And that's the beauty of it. Right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. And you've earned it seems like you've earned everything that that's come to this point. And I'm sure there's much more to come. Yeah, that's a great word. And I mean, I just think back to the first time that I sent John a cold email. I mean, years ago, <laughs> years ago, saying the energy bus and impact. Yeah, it's I like, it. what if I would have never done that? And for people yeah. listening, it's like, what are you doing? Uh, there's a book called The Proximity Principle by Ken Coleman. It's a great read. Mm -hmm. And he talks about if, what you want to do. You need to be around people who are doing it at a high level. And so for me, I was willing to go and invest and be part of it and just do it for free. And so I, I would encourage people to do that. And even fast forward to the last five years, like I said, I was in sales and I had started building up this speaking thing on the side slowly. So I had for you guys that are maybe listening, thinking about, I want to quit my job to pursue something. Here's how I did it. So I had for four years, I had a, a corporate sales job, W2 job, and on the side, I would build up this speaking business. And so I would literally be at my cubicle at work. I would sling mortgage loans. And then I would I would get on an airplane and go fly to a company and speak at their sales conference. And then I would come back to the cubicle. And and it was good to a point. And I, it was a great company. And they were so gracious to allow me to do that. But at some point, it got to the point where I couldn't... I just had crazy amount of stress. I could no longer... I could no longer continue doing that. And I was at a point in my day job where now this side hustle and my day job were kind of clashing and I couldn't, I was getting honestly anxiety. I started getting these heart palpitations. I had a, heart, a racing heartbeat because I was trying to do so many things. And so I actually went to a doctor and they said, they did the EKG. They said, your heart's fine. They said, but what are you doing for work? And I listed off like the seven things I was trying to juggle <laughs> And the guy said, he's like, this is probably stress induced. And, and until you scale some of these things down, you're going to continue to have this. And so I, I did scale down. And eventually that was in September. A few months later in December, I actually quit my full-time job because I did feel called to go all in on what I felt passionate about. And one other, another thing I did 
was I met with and I talked with on the phone about 12 people. So people who are full-time speakers, full-time entrepreneurs, people who are in the mortgage industry, family members, my wife, obviously, John Gordon. I talked with 12 people and I kind of gave them my numbers. I gave them, I just spilled everything. I was like, hey, this is where I'm at. Here's what I want to do long-term. And, and right now I'm trying to do both, but I just can't be, you know, being a loan officer at a, at a successful company, it's just a lot to handle. And it, it's, it's already more than a full-time job in itself. And I was trying to do two. And at 12 out of 12 people said, Alex, you need to go for it. Like you don't look back. You need to go all in and hearing people that cared about me, loved me, tell me that and say, Hey, go for it. Like you, you have no reason not to that. That was huge. And so I'd encourage your listeners as well. If you're trying to make that decision, get around people that know you and just be vulnerable and ask them, Hey, Hey, what do you, what do you think of this? And, and you'll get some really good, good responses. So I, this is about seven months. I've been all in as full-time self-employed entrepreneur. Like you said, you're not getting a paycheck every other Friday. Like I was slinging mortgages, but, um, it's unbelievable. The, the freedom that comes from it. Yes. Your days are going to look different, but it's just so freeing. Yesterday I was at my daughter's daughter's swim lessons on a, uh, on Monday and Tuesday, two days in a row. I would have never been able to do that in my past life, uh, just with, with my work schedule. And so again, everyone sees, you know, the now of being an entrepreneur, author, writer, all these things. But it's like, what are you doing? If that's a desire of yours or whatever it is, what are you doing to build this foundation so that you can put yourself in a position to do those things? Yeah. So it's interesting because I've been in that same, I've had that same experience of having some really um, acute anxiety around what was going on in my life at a time. And I think for me, like, yeah, the, 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 the accumulation of all the things you're doing at once can induce that. But I think the other thing that I learned, um, in my life from a therapist, actually, she, she, the way she described it was, you know, the anxiety that you're having is the difference between like who you really are as a person and like where you're at. Right. So like for me, like the way you described it is like, you were just not being true to yourself. Right. Like right. that anxiety comes from like, I want to be here but I can't be because I have this other responsibility, but I don't want to be there. Right. And so once you decided to go all in, right, there's stress that comes with being an entrepreneur that you don't have if you have a W2 job, but at the same time, you wake up every day knowing exactly what you want to do. Right. There's no fear there. It's like, I'm going to get up and do it because I love this versus like, oh, I got to get up and go to work today. And yeah, I get a paycheck, but this sucks. You know, right, right. it's a huge difference, right? And so you made that choice. And listen, you're very fortunate to have people around you who all supported that because that doesn't always doesn't always happen. Yeah, you know? and 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 people were honest with me too. I remember one of my friends. He said, I, I told him, and he's like, "Well, are you open to waiting tables and being a, a waiter if things don't work out?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> and he's like, "He's like, I think if you go in with that mentality." Yeah. where you're willing to do whatever it takes to provide for your family. Cause look, I mean, from the world standards, I had a mortgage. I had, uh, we had our one-year-old daughter, my wife mm -hmm. stays, stays at home. And so from the world's vantage point, sure. we're going, this would not be the best time for you to jump. Um, but I just felt like things had just been aligned. And, and to your point, it, it's, uh, yes, there are days that are stressful because guess what? Uh, flight delays. I'm sitting in the airport some days where I'm just like, man, I'm in the airport literally all day. What am I doing? But the stress, at least for me, is different. When I was in that corporate scene, it was a great job, but I'm not a numbers guy and I was doing a job where it wasn't even a great fit for me. And so now the stress that I have, yes, are there stressful moments? Sure. 
but it's not the banging my head against the wall type stress. It's a different stress. And it's sometimes in a six, it's an exciting stress. It's like, Hey, I got to speak to you, to the United States space force last Friday. It's like, yeah, that's a little stressful. You walk into a room, you're like, man, I never served in the military. Here's people who are giving their lives to serve, but it's a stress of like, man, I'm, I'm stressed in a good way to share something that hopefully will, will land with these, these people. Yeah. It, it's, it's incredible. I, I also couldn't help but think about an experience I had in the Columbia airport. Um, Columbia, Missouri, years ago. Columbia, Missouri. The one time I flew out of Columbia, Missouri, the, probably the smallest airport that I've ever been in in my life. And there was weather and we couldn't get out because it's just like two gates basically. And oh, I was man. like, Oh my goodness. So <laughs> we had to stay at this red roof inn overnight, which is like not oh, in a really great spot. Man, just yeah. to, you know, so I can't imagine trying to travel from Columbia all the time to get to these places. You have to connect every single flight. I would imagine. Yeah, I fly out of Columbia or Kansas city or St. Louis. Yeah. I'm two, two hours from each of them. But yeah, yeah. sometimes Columbia works great uh, mm-hmm. when I, cause you can connect in Dallas or Chicago and it's, you know, pretty quick, but yeah, it, it, there's definitely those days where you're just like, man, like, you know what? I signed up for the, you can't, the thing is you can't have, you can't have the big audience. You can't have the big stages if you're not willing to go through those other things. Like literally, literally I was at an event recently where I had to give, it was in Iowa. I had to give six talks and over the course of two days. And, um, the night actually that I found, uh, I got a text that said, Alex, you're officially a wall street journal bestseller. Congrats. Like I was, I was actually working out in the gym. It was before my last talk that night. And I had already given four talks that day. And I was just like looking at the picture on my phone. I was like, this is nuts. Like so unbelievable. And, and so I had a talk a few hours later and I'm working out at the gym, feeling good. And I'm like, man, these people tonight, they probably, they probably want to hear from a wall street journal bestseller. I mean, these, these folks in (laughs) Iowa, they're getting, they're getting a great deal. And that's what I'm thinking. Right. And, and, uh, and so I walk into this room of, it was a, it was a parent meeting, a required parent meeting for the school district. And I guess they didn't advertise very much, but I literally walk into this room and there is one kid in the room and one kid, one kid. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm away from my family. I'm, I'm in Iowa all the way. I came all the way here to do this. And, in that moment, I felt like, man, what am I doing here? But I just kind of heard and kind of felt like I was just being told, like, you're here for this one kid. And, and, and what are you doing to make an impact on him? And so I think in, in, in all of our lives, it's like, I hope we'd never get to the point where we look past that one person. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I'm glad you shared that because it, it, it kind of makes me think about my work as well. And, and think about, you know, probably the most influential book that that John has written for me personally is one word, right? Mm. And, 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 you know, this year, my word was service. And, you know, when I think about what I'm doing for people, right, if you can come across and give something to that one person, that young person, particularly who are super influential, uh, easily influenced, you can serve that person and have them take something away that's going to make their life better. Then it's a victory. (laughs) right? Like versus like, oh, I need to have a thousand people here in order for it to be important because you can have a thousand people in the audience and they're all tuned out and none of them, they don't get anything. But if that one kid's paying attention and they feel special, then you're actually doing something important. Yeah. You said that perfectly. It's it's redefining success. And I think a lot of times we look at our culture, we look at social media as athletes, type A type people, that's really hard because we look around and say, man, why can't I have that? And not only, not only should I have it, I, I need to have it. And where we get in the most trouble is when we, when we say, I deserve that, uh-huh. right? So, so we live beyond our means to try to impress people that we don't even care about, that they don't even probably care about us, right? Mm-hmm. And so, 
I think that's the the reminder is is you need to redefine success. For me, I'm surrounded by all these great, amazing speakers that I'm connected with that I talk with constantly. Some of these speakers do a hundred gigs a year. Well, guess what? As a dad, I don't want to be gone a hundred days a year. I just right. don't. And so for me, I for me, I want to do 36 speaking engagements a year. That's my goal. And I don't need to have the big fame of doing a hundred, two hundred for me. I just know I don't need that that additional income. Yeah. And so because of that. I'm not going to have the pride to say, oh, I need to have more than my buddy. Great. Mm-hmm. That's great for my buddy. But for my family set up and for my goals and what we want to accomplish, I don't want to be gone all the time. I want to be present. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to draw that connection to the book and I have a lot of questions that I want to ask, but the, the, the main character in the book is Matt, right? And what you just described is Matt was a character who wanted more to show success to other people and couldn't get away from that. So I guess I have to ask the obvious question, like, is Alex Matt? Yeah, in some ways I definitely did. You know, we wanted to write the main character as someone who everyone could relate to. And and I think, you know, you, you even shared earlier that in some ways you could relate. And Definitely. And so, yes, I think back to last year when I would get a commission check from my mortgage job. And instead of being grateful for my commission check, I would say, how do I double it next month? And see, here's the thing. I didn't start out doing that. When I first, like, think back to the time when you first ever got a paycheck, right? You get that paycheck, you're like, oh, this is, you're like, wow, this is, this is great. <laughs> they're you know, paying me. This they're, is awesome. they're yeah. paying me. I can't believe it. And, uh, and so, but then at, over time, that starts to wear off, right? And so that's where I got to the point where I was so, I guess, into myself and success that I said, okay, this paycheck that was, uh, you know, larger than I'd ever received, I, instead of being grateful for it, I had to say, how can I double it? And I think that's where I had to. One other thing I noticed was, so speaking and doing these types of things are a lot more passionate to me and, and more of a passion of mine than doing mortgages. But what I found is I was getting so busy that and trying to pursue making as much money as possible that when I would get a speaking request, like someone would come onto my personal website, alexspeaking.com, and they would say, Alex, we want you to speak at this event. I wouldn't be excited for it. I would, I would think I would be like, Oh, I have so many things to do at work. I I guess I could try to speak at this event. And I had to, I had to consciously stop myself and say, wait a minute, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? And it's, you know, speaking, writing books, leadership, consulting, those are the types of things I want to do, but I'm taking, I'm putting those in the backseat now and not giving those clients my best self. And I'm like, that's when I knew there was a problem. And so, yeah, in some ways, the main character, Matt, He's a guy in the story that you guys will read that he tries to achieve success. He tries to do things at a high level, but it comes at a cost. And, you know, for him, his cost is his wife, Kendra. He, she gives her, him an ultimatum and says, hey, if you don't change, like we're getting a divorce. Like I did not sign up for this. And so we tried to make the, the main character as someone who everyone could look at and be like, man, I, I've seen myself in Matt, in Matt before. Yeah. So what, so when, like, when did you start? The, the process of writing the book? Like when, when did you like start thinking about it? Can you just talk me through how that went in the timeline and the process? Yeah. I remember going on a run one day and I was just, just thinking and, and, um, you know, praying and I just had a kind of a thought kind of come to me of, of the storyline and I felt like God kind of placed it on my heart. And so I just, the work integrity kept coming back, you know, and, and I've had the chance to be around a lot of high capacity leaders in my life. And I've also seen on the flip side, some leaders um, really just create a ripple effect of some negative things. And so I've had a front row seat to both. And so 
the word integrity kept coming back, but I was like, oh man, like, do I write a book about integrity? Like, you know, that is, that is not the easiest thing to do because for one, it puts a kind of a target on your back, right? As the author <laughs> who writes about <laughs> integrity, you're kind of insinuating like, oh, I'm, per-, which that's not the right. case. Obviously I'm not perfect in any way. Um, and number two, it's just, it might be a little easier to talk about being positive or like integrity is, is a kind of a, a personal issue for a lot of people. And so I remember just thinking on this, this word integrity and thinking like, man, this could be really impactful. And about a week after that, I get a phone call from an athletic director in Texas. And he, he asked me, Hey, come speak to my staff. You know, what are some things you want to speak on? And, and I didn't, I kind of half-heartedly said it. I said, well, what, what about integrity? You know, and I just kind of was going to like move on from it. And he was like, wait, what did you just say? I was like, Oh, like leading with integrity. He's like, yes, that's what I want you to come speak on. And so that was my first ever speaking engagement in 2018. I remember they gave me 500 bucks and they paid for my flight and I couldn't believe it. I was like, pretty good deal. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I I couldn't, at that time I couldn't believe, I'm like, wait, people get paid to do this. And so that's kind of what got me started. Just seeing that first paycheck being like, whoa. um, And kind of what I, what I do now. But yeah, that, that was the first time that someone, you know, Sam Ferguson believed in it. He's the athletic director at McMurray, a great university um, and just an awesome school in Texas and believed in me and, and he loved it. I've been back there, I think, four times since 2018. He's an awesome. I've actually had him on my podcast. Just an incredible guy. And then I had the chance to give a very similar talk to eight CEOs at the CEO roundtable and literally eight people. I didn't know what to expect. It's in Illinois. I I walk in, it's a family friend that hosted it. And he said, Hey, come speak. And after this talk, I asked for feedback. And one of the CEOs of this massive organization, he said, Alex, what you just shared with us is relevant to every single industry. I don't care what you go into. He's like, we just had a, we just had a Matt, he had a big car dealership. He said, we just had an integrity issue last week and we had to let some people go. And he said, he said, Alex, I hope that you continue to share this message and you never stop because it's, it's applicable to any industry. And so it was those two events where I said, whoa, like this message matters and this message is way bigger than me. And so that's when, when John and I started talking about it and seeing, you know, how could it, cause that was the thing, right. It's fitting it into all of his other 25 books. Cause he has, he's, he's so talented. He's such a great writer. And it's like, how could we write this story collaboratively in a way that it, 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 also maintains the integrity of his old books and it does and you know but it also kind of has this new twist and this new look of hey you know right now in the world you know the last few years integrity even related to airplanes is an issue you know you've seen on the news of there's a netflix on doc uh, a documentary on netflix right now called downfall and it's all about integrity in the little parts of an airplane and so we really thought the theme of an airplane was relevant in the last few years just because you know, we've, we've seen it in the news and, and I, a lot of people fly on planes and it's a vulnerable thing. If you think about, man, I hope, I hope they had the integrity to <laughs> put the right pieces together in the airplane and things like that. So that's kind of where it started. And, and John, obviously just with his creativity, his kind of magical touch was able to kind of put his certain things on the book and just made it, made it great uh, to what it is today. That's awesome. So how, how long did it take you from st- st- from the first time you sort of put a word, a pen to paper till, till, till yeah, when it was published. I, I would say, um, it took longer to get it published going through yeah. uh, the publisher just because one COVID and then two, John had a, a few other books that he was releasing. So I think it was stick together in the garden. So it was 
the book had been kind of done and flushed out. I was just kind of waiting on the right timing. And so it worked out great because I had, you know, we had Kennedy, our first our daughter during the pandemic. And so I, I wasn't really traveling as much for speaking. So sure. again, it was just all such cool timing that the book launched in April, three months after I went out as an entrepreneur. So I could literally take on any engagement and, um, you know, when you're co-authoring a book too, you know, it probably takes a little bit longer than if you just sat down and did it. But, um, gosh, I don't even honestly know that's full time frame. I just know like when we would have it done at certain points, but then it would just be waiting on the timing of it. So I would say probably a little over a year maybe. Um, but you know, if, if someone's sitting there and saying, Hey, I want to write a book, I want to do this. It can definitely be quicker than that. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just the dynamics of his publisher, all the different things. And they were, they're an awesome publisher. Um, but just kind of working through all those dynamics. So is that how you, I mean, at writing the book yourself, is that how you got into the, 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 the side of helping other people write their books? Yeah. So about a year and a half ago, I had a buddy of mine who wrote a book called gouge and I, I got his book. I read it and I read it in like a day mm-hmm. and his, his name's Will Severns. And I gave him a call. He lives in Kansas city. And I called him and I'm like, Will, this was an incredible book have you ever thought about helping people do this? And so, um, we started talking and, um, long story short, we created a company called writemybooks.com. And, mm-hmm. and right now we're helping about 15 different authors write, edit and publish their book. And then we also have some marketing options. We're helping people get speaking engagements, things like that. So for us, it's been really fun because a lot of these people have, I mean, maybe even people listening to your show, have kind of this lofty goal of like, you know, someday I want to write a book and it's kind of this bucket list item. And we're saying, look, you have a story to share. This could help you. And you having this book could help open the doors for you in speaking, coaching. It could bring in new clients, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We want, we've kind of condensed it. We have a team of writers now we've condensed it down to a 16 week process. And so for people that are saying, Hey, I want to write a book someday. We're saying, Hey, not someday for the first time, we're going to bring a team around you. It's very affordable. Um, but we're going to bring a team around you. And in 16 weeks and four months, your book will be on Amazon. It'll be published. And so we're just excited about that. It's been so cool that the, the people were getting to, to steward their stories and work with them on their books, <laughs> all kinds of people from people who just want a legacy piece for their family to a financial planner, um, former professional athletes who one was in prison, all these amazing stories that we're getting to steward. And so, yeah, I would say, it was around that time when I started having these thoughts of, man, I really mm-hmm. like, I like publishing books and helping people write their story. Cause I, I love writing my own books, but also love helping other people write their books. Mm-hmm. And for people who are saying, man, I have this dream of, I would love to just write this legacy piece or, or something that would help me grow my business. We're bringing this team alongside them saying, Hey, you can do it. And we have a path and a plan to, to make it happen for you. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, you know, we were talking before we started recording and like, you're like, Hey, you ever thought about writing a book? I was like, Oh yeah, sure enough. I have. And I actually started writing some stuff and he's like, Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh man, you know, but, but I, but I think it, you know, I think one of the things, you know, regardless of who you are and what you do, I think one of the things that I live by now is sort of this idea that it's never too late to do something, right? It's never too late to change your life and make a change. Right. And so if I relate it back to the book, right, there's this sort of epiphany or if you want to call it that, that, that Matt has like where he really looks at himself in the mirror and he says like, I need to be different, right. Based upon what the character Randy is sort of forcing him to do. He's challenging him to look in the mirror and say, I need to do something differently. So like, can you talk about the character Randy, right? That sort of coaching, that sort of 
authority figure, that person who at first Matt doesn't think he's sort of anybody special or different. And then he finds out actually who he is. Like, can you just talk about how that dynamic came to be? What made you sort of gave you that inspiration for that character? Yeah. So the cool backstory of the character Randy in the book, and for you guys that haven't read the book listening, Randy is kind of this wise sage who counsels Matt and he gives him, you know, these principles and laws about integrity that change Matt's life. And we can't tell you the ending of the book. You can't, we can't tell you how, it, we can't tell you how it ends. But... I'll keep quiet. I actually haven't gotten there yet. I'm okay. midway through, so I can't tell you the end. Okay. Exciting. But when you do get there, I'm not going to ruin it for you either, but it's just cool <laughs> to see the transformation in Matt's life, the main character, when he learns these laws. But the cool mm-hmm. backstory to answer your question about Randy is Randy Sutherland is actually a mentor of mine who lives in Springfield, Illinois. And so it was someone growing up in youth group and high school, middle school. I had this mentor named Randy who really invested in my life and he's always done things the right way. And someone I highly respect. And he actually owns a pizza place called Dylan's pizza in Springfield, Illinois. So if you're ever going through Springfield, you'll have to try it in Springfield, Illinois. It's a great, the best pizza I've ever had. And, um, and so that's why you, you'll see Dylan's pizza in the book. And so that was a, just a cool shout out that I'm just like, man, I have to honor Randy in this way. It just made sense. He's kind of this coach. He's been a coach for me, kind of a mentor. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it just fit perfectly in the book. And so that's kind of why we named him that. And, and yeah, to your point, it, it is inspiring to kind of read his character in the book because he's kind of like, he is kind of that grandpa to everybody. He's just this person who's there for you. He, he just met, meets Matt in an airport, but here he is telling him all these life principles and he's done it the right way. He has a crazy backstory as well. And, um, and so it's just really cool because I think we all need someone like that in our lives. Yeah. We, uh, you know, and I certainly, I certainly would agree with that. And I think, listen, the world we live in, I think it's, I don't want to say it's harder, but it definitely seems to be more of a challenge to, to sort of take advice, right. To take guidance from people who know more than we do. Cause I think a lot of people are very, egotistical, self-centered, you know, and we live in a world where there's so much information, whether good or bad, swirling around us, right? To have that sort of anchor in your life, someone who's going to shoot it to you straight and tell you like, hey, like you need to get your stuff together because otherwise it's easy to sort of, you know, go off the rails because you're doing things by your, of your own devices. Yeah, it's such a good word. There's a, a pastor. He's also, he helped to create the Bible app. He's an, he's kind of an entrepreneur, honestly. Interesting. His name's Craig Groeschel. If you've ever read any of his leadership mm. content, he has amazing, one of the top leadership podcasts in America he, he runs. But I just have so much respect for him because he, he he started the this essentially amazing organization with all these branches of churches all over the country. And he's just a really solid dude. He's so disciplined. I mean, he's just jacked out of his mind, just a really ripped guy, Very <laughs> so, so disciplined. But two things that he does, I really respect. Number one, um, he has the a few uh, uh, kind of business leaders or elders at the church. They have access to his bank accounts. They have full access. And number two, they have access to anything that he searches online, any of his history on his computer, anything. So for him, he's going, you know what? I've I've achieved this level of success, but I almost want to put, some boundaries around this so i i can allow myself to have long term long term success he doesn't have the pride to say mm-hmm. you know he he literally is saying to his, these people at the church he's saying hey i want to be i want to do it the right way and so i want right. you guys to keep me in check and so um there's just things that. like that that i think people like that i i look up to and say man I love like that. they they get it they they understand that they want to have long term success they understand that anyone 
could fall prey to some of the tra world's trappings sure. and say, you know what, make one bad decision that then just has a negative ripple effect for the rest of their life. And so I, I really love being around or just learning from guys like that who are guys or girls who, who kind of put these things in place, not in a legal legalistic type way, but truly right. a way of saying, Hey, I want to, I want to have a long foundation. I want to have a long enduring family. I want to have mm -hmm. a, just a, a life that is, that I look back and I'm, I'm proud of. And so that's, you said it so well there. It's like, none of us are above doing some of these things in life, but what are we doing to actually um, be proactive about harnessing some of sure. those things in and, and being and, and setting yourself up for long-term success? Yeah. And one of the things that's really helped me in my life, and I've learned this the hard way is, you know, one of the things that really serves me well is telling on myself, mm. right? When, when I do something that I'm not happy about, and I make a bad choice or I'm doing something that's not serving me well, I try to tell somebody about it because yep. then I'm holding myself to account. Like, Hey, I you know, you're, you, you shouldn't be doing this or you don't want to be doing this, but you're doing it anyway. Someone needs to know about it so that you're like, okay, like you need to get your act together because yeah. it'd be really easy to keep it to yourself because of your pride, because of your ego, right? I don't want people to know what's going on. And, you know, that takes a lot because most people get very defensive when you come at them. And I, and I was that way for a very long time. And I think that story you just told is, is such a, uh, such an important one to say, Hey, I'm going to drop my ego and be like, Hey, this I'm interested in the long run. I'm going to hold myself accountable to other people so that I can succeed in the long run and not get sucked into short-term gain. Yeah. And that's cool how you say that you're, I mean, you're a coach, but you're telling us that like you have someone that you tell things to. Definitely. And so like, that's cool. And even like Tom Brady, he, he has a coach for so many different things mm -hmm. in his life. And it's like, he, even he gets it. He's like, look, yep. I need, I need this accountability. And, and I think that's so true. It's like, uh, having that someone in, having someone in your life, whether it's family, friend, for me, it's a, one of my friends named Nick and, uh, we get coffee, we go work out together, we play pickleball, whatever. And it's being able to, to share with him and just be open. And, and cause the thing is, if you try to just hide that and compress that inside, it's like, we've kind of hit on in the book, as you'll mm -hmm. see in the next few chapters, it, man, it really affects your performance and it affects your, your mental side of things. And it affects the way you live, you know? Uh-huh. Well, let's say, so I'll, I'll tie that to, to what I do as a mental performance coach. It's exactly right. Like the way you think affects the way you feel. And the way I put it to athletes very plainly is if you're not feeling good about yourself because something that's going on, you're not going to perform at your best. Right. So just having the ability to talk to somebody without judgment about like what you're feeling and what you're going through, just like letting that load go is a way to go out and be your best. It doesn't have to be anything fancy or complex. It just can be like, Hey, get it off your chest. So you don't have to wear it. So you can go do your thing. And I think that's really, really important. And it applies to all areas of life and all types of coaching. So a couple more questions before I let you go. So because of your age, just the fact that you're relatively young, how old are you? 29, 29. Yep. 29, right. You're a young guy and you've accomplished a ton like, and you're an entrepreneur. So obviously you've always got ideas in your head is my guess. Like, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? Like, where do you want to go? Yeah, it's a great question. And yeah, I think that's the hardest part about being an entrepreneur. And then the six months that I've been a full-time entrepreneur <laughs> is you actually have to say like, what's important right now and not, yeah. and not get, go down this rabbit hole of all these different ideas. And so honestly, what I've been passionate about and what I think has been really exciting to see grow is obviously my speaking and, and continuing to write mm -hmm. my own books and, and do, you know, leadership training with alongside John Gordon with his company, but also with writemybooks.com. That's our website. Our actual business name is Streamline Books. And so mm. 
being able to do those both those things in unison has been pretty fun because they they kind of weave together like yeah, i'll go i'll go yeah i'll go speak at an event and then i'll get off the stage and someone will come up to me and say hey i want to write a book and then we end up writing their book so they work together and honestly it's something that we're kind of growing this thing at a high level so for for will and i our, my co-founder we'd love to be able to continue to grow it bring on writers bring on project managers that we're like we're doing right now and and really grow that thing because we feel like you know, there's a stat out there that says 81% of people want to write a book, but only 1% do each year. And so for us, we're saying there's this, wow. there's this huge gap and it's like, how do we narrow that and, and, and bring people into our ecosystem that we can help do that. And so honestly, if the long-term play for me, um, is, you know, hopefully I'll never have to go back to corporate world. Hopefully I can stay as an entrepreneur, <laughs> entrepreneur but I'm not, a, you I'm know, sure whatever, you will. whatever I have to do to provide, I'll, I'll do, but hopefully I'll never have to go back that route. Um, but yeah, just continue to speak to companies that's the cool thing about speaking is, you know, John Gordon told me that a long time ago. He's like, you never have to retire from it. It's something that you can do less of when you're older, but he's like, you're never going to retire. And he's like, I, I won't retire. And I think that's a good word because it's like after sitting on the beach for a month, you're just like, all right, what's my purpose, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, yeah. I think just speaking and, and being able to work with organizations, but then also growing streamlined books and, and what we're doing there is super exciting. So I hope 10 years from now, uh, you know, Streamline uh, Books has a lot of a lot of employees, and we're we're just serving people really well. And and even if no matter how big we grow, I just hope that we're able to maintain that personal touch and um, continue to help people steward their stories well. Excellent. All right. So the last question I'll ask, and I ask it to everybody. Maybe it's from a little different perspective, depending on who you are. But like, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to a listener, whether it's about entrepreneurship, being an athlete? whatever, whatever you want, but like pick one thing. And, and what do you think is the most important thing they need to know? Yeah, there's a lot of ways I could go with that question. That's <laughs> a great question. But I think because we're kind of on the topic of being an entrepreneur and kind of going for this episode, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say this, decide to go in, all in on something that that would be my advice. Decide mm -hmm. to go all in on something because I was at a place a year ago from, from now where I was kind of just scattered with all the different things I was trying to do. And, and it's really hard to make progress of any type. But if you're listening and you're, you're kind of comparing what you want to do, I think you need to first, you need to think forward into the future, be, you know, start with the end in mind, think about where do you see yourself 20 years from now? That's what I had to do. Okay. 20 years from now, I don't want to be doing mortgages, but I do want to be speaking and coaching and leading. So for me, it's a no brainer. So figure that, figure out what is that for you and then get the right people around you that will support you in going all in on what you want to do. And for you, maybe all in is, is corporate and that's great. Maybe mm -hmm. it's, maybe it's going to college. Maybe it's fill in the blank for you. When you make yeah. the decision to go in though, all in though, there's no turning back. It's kind of like, like Alexander the great, when they go to attack the Persians, he gets there with all his people and he burns the boats. He literally burns the boat that they got there on. And all his men look behind. They're like, what the heck's going on? Why are you doing this? And he said, there's no turning back. Like we, mm -hmm. we're, we're conquering this land. And so in the same way, like I, I'll just get chills when I tell that story because it's like someone, my boss and my corporate job, he, when I told, explained to him I was quitting, he told me, he said, man, go burn, the, go burn the boats. And, um, I think that's so true. It's like, you have to make the decision to go all in because no one will make it for you. That's true. It's a great way to end. I appreciate that. Alex, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It was great to, to get to know more about you. You're such an interesting guy and you have such a bright future. So I, I really appreciate you, you joining me here. Hey, I've heard great things about the show and this was awesome. You ask awesome questions. So thanks thank so you. much. Looking forward to staying in touch and thank you. Thank you for doing it. Same here. Take care, Alex. 
So, what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Alex Demchek? For me, it's that success should be self-referenced. Alex is taking great risks to design his ideal professional life. Major investments in himself led to meeting renowned author John Gordon, writing best-selling book, The Sale, and spreading his message of integrity as a coach and speaker. Alex's ability to deal with adversity in his athletic career helped him follow his heart to go all in on entrepreneurship. My suggestion to young athletes is to humble yourselves when asked to do so. It may make you angry and uncomfortable at the moment. However, developing humility is likely to give you the tools to succeed when you're ready to pursue your desired path, whether in athletics or other facets of life. I want to thank Alex for his generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Alex on his website at alexspeaking.com. You can follow Alex on Instagram at alexdemchek. And you can find his book, The Sale, on Amazon. To learn more about how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back in two weeks, ready to get better. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.